I feel like I should start by saying congratulations. Uh, we all survived the snowpocalypse of 2018. We made it. We might still be digging out, but we have survived. And so as I watched this blizzard, um, I've come to this conclusion in my life that this blizzard was just further uh, proof of. And the conclusion that I've come to in life is that there are times and there are moments when truth is stranger than fiction. There are things, I, I've had these scenarios in my life happen that I go, seriously, you could not make this up. Moments where I feel like I'm stuck in a sitcom or a movie scenario. You ever had that happen? Something so ridiculous? You're like, how, how does this even take place? Uh, our family had one of these uh, take place just a couple weeks ago. Um, we usually do like a twice a month uh, grocery trip to Sioux Falls. We go to Aldi, get stuff really cheap, bring it back, you know, in bulk. And so my wife gets home and we're unloading groceries and bringing things in. And usually those moments are a little bit of pandemonium in our house. We've got a dog, we've got three small kids, things get kind of crazy. And so we're bringing groceries in and our dog, who's a lab basset hound mix, you know, he's right in the fray, tail wagon, greeting everybody and doing what dogs do. And in this moment of craziness, a gallon of milk gets dropped in our entryway and it explodes. So now there's milk all over the entryway, and we live in a split foyer, and so our stairs going down to the basement are now this lovely waterfall of whole milk just soaking into the carpet. And now I'm an adult in this situation, and so, you know, we teach our kids, you know, you, we can react to these kind of things, don't cry over spilled milk, and so I'm thinking, Aaron, you're the adult, you have to model the way for your kids to respond. Uh, and so we grab some towels and we're soaking it up. And I see that the milk is sort of, it's seeping into the, the bags that the other groceries are in. So I think, oh, I better get this upstairs. So I grab a bag and I take another gallon of milk and I go to run up our stairs that are wood stairs, not realizing that I had stepped in milk myself. So now my feet are, are wet. So I go to run up the stairs and I slip. And it's one of those moments where like time slows down, you know, and I realize I'm going to eat this stair with my face right? It's not going to be good. And in those moments, like you don't really get to think through this. You know it's coming, and you, you react instinctually. And so in my reaction, I realize something has to go. But I, I don't drop this second gallon of milk. I choose to launch this second gallon of milk, right? So I fall forward, throw it into our kitchen, and it takes this nice little arc to right in front of our refrigerator, and it explodes, right? And now there's another gallon of milk all over the kitchen, and I would like to tell you as a mature Christ follower, I said, praise Jesus, we'll clean it up. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm still on the journey just like you. And so I had this moment, I, I threw our, our uh, high chair out of the way and I walked outside and I stood in the driveway like this. And Lauren goes, Aaron, it's just a gallon of milk. And I said, nope, it's actually two gallons of milk. Uh, there's a second one actually at the top of the stairs now. And, and so I walk back in, and it's one of those moments where you just feel caught between a rock and a hard place, right? You look at it and you go, there's no decision I can make here that's a fun decision. My choice is, would I like to pull out the refrigerator and clean up milk that's underneath there? And you know all that weird stuff collects under your fridge, right? So imagine all that weird stuff now soaked in milk. Awesome, right? Or my other option is I could spend the next hour of my life sucking whole milk out of the carpet stairs going down to the basement. Right? No matter which option I choose, neither one is going to be fun. Neither one is going to be life-giving. Right? And now, that's, that's a funny scenario. Uh, well, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. I can, I can sort of laugh about it. But in many other ways, we have scenarios in our life where maybe, like Steve talked about last week, maybe your life gets turned upside down in a moment, or, and you find yourself in this place where you feel caught between a rock and a hard place. 
You find yourself in this situation where you go, I don't feel like there's a good choice that I can make either way. I feel like no matter what I choose, this is going to lead me to a place of difficulty. And so we're we're in this series that we just kicked off. This is part two of of here to there. And the whole concept of, of this series is what does it mean to recognize where we are spiritually and to look at where Jesus wants us to take us? So here to there is all about this journey of becoming a people who are Christ-like and who reflect the character of Jesus. Now, the challenge in this journey is what Steve talked about last week, that there are moments when our life can be turned upside down. And there's moments I want to talk about this week where we feel stuck, where we feel caught between a rock and a hard place and feel like there's no way out or no way through. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about this journey here to there. I want to talk about how do we start this journey? And I want to talk about how do we navigate those difficult places when we just feel stuck. And I want to do this through the lens of the people of Israel as they're on their exodus journey in the Old Testament. The people of Israel had been held in captivity in Egypt for years and years and years. And finally, they're at this place in their story where God is bringing them to freedom and they're leaving Egypt and they're headed to this promised land, this place that God has for them. And along the way, in the midst of their journey, they get stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I want to look at how do they navigate this? And is there something that we can learn from their story? So Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, says this. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and they will return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. They're to camp by the sea directly opposite of Baal-zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So here's Israel. They're on their journey from here to there, from this place of bondage and brokenness towards this place of freedom in the promised land. And one of the first things that I noticed about the Israelites' journey is the importance of trajectory. So when we think about what it is to start our journey towards spiritual maturity, towards Christ-likeness, one of the key things that we have to understand about what it means to begin this journey is about the importance of trajectory. Because trajectory, the the direction you're headed and, and the ultimate goal that you're living for has a way of determining and directing the decisions that we make. So as we talk about this idea of trajectory, you can see that for the people of Israel, twice in that passage that we just read, it says that God either led them or did not lead them to go a certain way. And what you see is their choices, their decisions, their direction is being determined by the presence of God and his leadership in their life. So my question for us this morning, as you think about your journey, is is who or what is determining and directing your steps and the trajectory of your life? Because what you're aiming toward has a way of determining how you live. So for instance, if, if 
financial freedom and success and and job success, if that's what you're aiming towards, you are going to make decisions based on that goal. So trajectory is fundamentally important. It determines our step. So who or what is guiding and leading you? Now, the second thing I see for the people of Israel as they're on this journey is that it's really important to prepare for the journey. Did you notice that in verse 18, it says that the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle? So they leave this place of slavery and they start this journey towards the promised land and they go up kind of geared and ready to encounter hard moments. And what I realized for me is that in my journey, I have to let go of some of my assumptions. Because I've realized that one of my core assumptions in life is that in the midst of my faith journey, I assume that what that means is that God will take care of my issues. What I assume is that God will just sort of smooth things out and it'll be smooth sailing and it'll be great. And the reason I know there is there's, there's these moments where I see symptoms of this assumption. And for me, it usually happens in a moment of adversity when I respond by saying, God, why would you let this happen? Or you're supposed to take care of this stuff. I don't want to deal with these kinds of things. You're supposed to just smooth it out because my assumption is that God is going to make the way easy. But like the Israelites, I think we need to enter this journey being prepared to live in a fallen and broken world while also being faithful. And in fact, I think what we'll begin to see is that those moments of adversity become the places in which God is forming and shaping us to be the kind of people who are ready for his plan and purpose. So the Israelites, they set a trajectory, they prepare for the journey. The third thing that I see from the Israelites' story is the importance of faithfulness. Faithfulness in this faith journey is fundamentally important. And faithfulness is this this willingness to say, okay, God, we trust you. We're committed to your path. We're committed to your plan. We're committed to the trajectory that you set for us. And we're going to stay on that path no matter what comes. And so the Israelites, they, they, they are faithful to this plan that God brings them on, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And the reason that faithfulness is challenging is that sometimes being faithful to God's plan feels like a detour. Did you notice what it said in in chapter 14, uh, verse 1, or verse 2? It says, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahiroth. Now, there's two things we know already. First, in chapter 13, we learned that God did not take them on the shortest way. That seems like bad navigation, right? When I punch a direction into my phone, I want the shortest route. I don't want to see the scenic route all the time. If I'm in a hurry, take me to the shortest route. But it says that God doesn't lead them on the shortest way. In fact, God d- brings them on a route that is, doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. And not only that, but they get to this place. Uh, they're camping by the sea. You can see it's sort of right below Goshen. You see Succoth up there. And they get there, and God says, oh, by the way, once you leave here, I want you to turn back. Right now, if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, first of all, you didn't take us on the most direct route because the most direct route on this map is to leave Goshen and to head straight uh, west, east, whatever that direction is, to my right, that way, right? That's the shortest route to the promised land. That is not the route that God takes them. He takes them into the Sinai Peninsula. This makes no sense. Why in the world would God lead them that way? And not only that, but they get to this place and they break camp and God says, okay, now I want you to turn back. If I'm Moses, I'm going, are you serious? You, you want me to turn around and go back that way, right? And so I imagine Moses with his staff turning around, and there's the nation of Israel spread out in front of him. And I imagine him, uh, excuse me, um, pardon me. Uh, hey, we're, we're, we're going to go this way. Well, we just came from that direction. That, that's back to it. Why would we go that way? 
And Moses has to rally the people and say, uh, yeah, actually, we're going to head this way. Let's go, people. I mean, how, how does he enter that scenario? But he's faithful, and he brings the people of Israel back over the steps that they've already traveled, and it feels like a detour. And in that moment, faithfulness becomes important because we have to trust that God is purposeful even when it doesn't feel like it. God isn't just haphazard. It's not as if somehow God said, oh, I missed a road sign. We were supposed to take a turn. That's not it. God has a specific plan and purpose that he's enacting. Faithfulness is important too because sometimes faithfulness to God's direction and purpose is going to look like foolishness to the world around us. Notice what it says, that as the people turn back, in verse 3, it says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Now, in my mind, it doesn't seem like a great battle strategy. Like, here's the plan. You ready, Moses? We're going to make it look like you're so lost that you're confused and have no idea what you're doing. That's a great battle strategy to overcome Egypt, right? No, if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. It feels like foolishness, but he chooses to be obedient. God says, listen, it's going to look like foolishness to the people of Egypt, but I'm doing something purposeful. When we embark on this faith journey towards Christ-likeness, there are going to be people in our culture who look at the way that we're living as believers, and it's going to seem like foolishness. Like, think about something like tithing, right? Giving 10% of our money back to God. That seems like foolishness. Who in the world would do that? And yet time and time again, I've encountered blessing because of obedience and faithfulness. And there are a hundred other ways that we live as believers that the world looks at and says, that seems foolish. But we have to trust that God is purposeful and that his plan for us is best. And finally, faithfulness is important because sometimes we are going to feel lost. When God takes us on a detour and God directs us down a path that doesn't seem to make sense, there's going to be moments where we feel like we have no idea what's going on. I I remember this moment where after I left the first church that I'd been at right out of college, I ended up working part-time at a YMCA camp. I love my kids. Working with other people's kids isn't my strong point. It wasn't my dream job. I worked construction part-time. I ended up working with Lauren as house parents for at-risk youth. None of that was in my plan. None of that was in my trajectory. And it felt like a detour. And in fact, I felt lost. And I thought, maybe ministry isn't the thing that God has for me. Maybe I need to explore some other route. And if you would have told me then that seven years later, I'd be preaching in South Dakota after an April blizzard, I would have said, for a variety of reasons, you're crazy. And yet here we are, April blizzard. But it was a moment where I felt lost and I could never, never have anticipated what God would bring. And so faithfulness becomes a core and vital component in those moments. So Israel is faithful and they embark on this journey. In verse five, we catch the next phase of their struggle. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. And they said, what have we done? We let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots and the officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptian, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites, and they overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihahiroth, opposite of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say, let us, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
So God leads Israel to this place where they have the, sea, the Red Sea on one side and the army of Egypt is now on the other side. And they feel trapped. They are caught between a rock and a hard place. They are not ready to face the mighty army of Egypt. And on this side is the Red Sea. What in the world could possibly happen? They're stuck. And what I recognize is that often there's this um, distortion of perspective that happens when we're caught in a difficult place. And so when we think about how to respond when we're caught between a rock and a hard place, it's important for us to understand how those moments of adversity can distort our perspective. Israel has forgotten all about the reality that God delivered them from Egypt. All they can see is their present circumstance of being stuck between the sea on one side and Egypt on the other, and they immediately lose hope. With this distortion in their perspective, they have this initial response that's not healthy. The way that they respond is, is fear and panic and complaining. It throws them. Do you notice what they tell Moses? It says they're terrified. And then they go to Moses and they say, what? There weren't enough places to bury us in Egypt, so you thought you'd bring us to the desert? Oh, we don't even have to bury them there. We'll just let the sand cover their bodies, right? They're angry. They're frustrated. Their life is on the line, and they don't see a way out. And, and I think, not unlike the Israelites, when we get stuck between a rock and a hard place, when life is, is overwhelmed and it feels upended, we often respond in a similar way with fear and with panic and with complaining. And our temptation in those moments is to look for an escape route. And an escape route is an unhealthy and an unholy alternative to God's plan for our life. What the Israelites say is, let's go back to what's, what's easy. Let's go back to Egypt. At least they took care of our needs. But listen, Egypt was not a good place. They were in slavery. They were oppressed there. This was not a place that they wanted to go back to. And this is not God's plan and purpose for them. God wants freedom for them. And I think just like the Israelites, we can be tempted to find an escape route and ask, what's the easiest path out of here? But listen, if you step off of God's trajectory for your life, it is an unhealthy and an unholy alternative for his plan for us. So the question is, how do we begin to respond rightly? And Moses then, in verse 13, he begins to speak truth into Israel. And he tells the people, he says, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you will see. Notice his, his courage and his hope there. He doesn't say, maybe God will deliver. Moses says, you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Verse 15 says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. So Moses says to them, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be still. At first, this felt sort of dismissive to me. Here, here's the, the Israelites. They're stuck. Egypt, Red Sea, there's no hope. And I thought, who is Moses to just tell them, hey, hey don't, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. But I realized that for Moses, he has this kind of courage and he tells the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, because he's reminding them to be firmly rooted in their faith in the God of Israel who is capable of redeeming this situation. I think this whole paragraph is rooted in Moses teaching to them. He says, you will see God's deliverance today. And he says, based on that belief that God will deliver, let not fear guide our steps and let us stand firm in the faith that our God is capable of redeeming any and every situation. And then there's this moment in verse 15 where God tells Moses, he says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And what we need to do is to avoid getting stuck and stay engaged in God's plan and purpose. 
And there's moments where I feel caught between a rock and a hard place, and I say, God, this isn't even worth it. I don't even know what to do. And my temptation is to just give up and to get stuck there. And often what I've noticed is that that God will often reveal deliverance in just the next step. And and what I want is I want God to say, here's your 10-year plan. Uh, Years one through four are going to be really good. Year five is going to be a little bit rocky. Right? I want, I want the plan. But what God gives me is he says, listen, here's just the next step in your journey. Just take that step. And I find that so frustrating sometimes. But it's this moment of coming back and saying, okay, God, I trust that you will deliver. And I trust that you will see us through seasons of adversity. Help me to be faithful. In the Old Testament, there's this moment where the prophet Isaiah, he begins to describe this very moment. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16 says this. says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea and a path through the waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements. Isaiah is talking about Exodus 13 and 14. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Church, catch this. He says, see, now I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Catch what God tells the people of Israel. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And God tells the people of Israel, listen, there are going to be moments where you feel incredibly stuck. There are going to be moments where you don't see a way out. And God tells the people, listen, he says, I'm doing something new in the midst of losing hope. I am making a way. Church, 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 listen. We serve a God who specializes in making a way where there does not seem to be a way. Where's the place in your life right now that feels hopeless? Where's the place right now that you feel so stuck you don't know the way through? I believe that we serve a God who says, listen, in your desert place, in your wasteland place, in that place where you feel stuck, I can do something new. I can bring hope. And I so firmly believe that there is no situation that is beyond the grasp and the ability of God to redeem. And so like Moses, we can say, stand firm. You will see, not maybe, you will see the deliverance that God will bring today. So how do we learn to respond differently in this situation? I think, again, going back to the story of Israel, we can see and understand a new way of responding in these kinds of situations. How do do we learn to not be afraid? How do we we learn to stand firm and to be rooted in that faith? I want to give you five things quickly this morning. I think the first is we need to remember that God is purposeful. Remember that God is purposeful. So if you read chapter 14, what you will find is there are three places where God says, I'm going to bring glory to myself through this situation. In verse 4, it says, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army. Verse 17 says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh. Verse 18 says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory. And what you see here, and I'd never noticed this until this week, is that this passage is actually a power struggle, and it raises the question, what do we believe is more powerful? Is Egypt and its military prowess with chariots, this new technology, are they more powerful? Should we fear them? Or is Yahweh, our God, is he more powerful? And so what this is, is it's this moment where God says, Egypt, bring it. Israel, I'm about to show you my glory and strength. And it's this moment where the God of all creation embarrasses and utterly lays waste the most powerful military force in the world. And he says, Israel, take note. You're about to see my glory. 
This wasn't haphazard. God didn't say, I'm going to lead you in the desert and then let Egypt take over and just destroy you there. He goes, no, 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 no. This is a purposeful moment of displaying to you just how great I am. And in this, I think we need to remember God is purposeful. Secondly, I think we need to reframe our thinking. When we are stuck in a place of adversity, when we are stuck between a rock and a hard place, my initial response is usually, God, what are you doing? Why'd you lead me here? What if in those places we could begin to pray a new prayer and say, God, would you open my eyes and help me to see the places where you are going to reveal your strength and your glory in ways that I can't even begin to understand? So let us remember that God is purposeful. Let's reframe our thinking. Third, be ready to see God move. I, I think I can tell you stories in my own life of moments where I've prayed without any expectation. I'm in a difficult situation and I pray and part of me is like, oh, God's probably not going to do anything. What if we prayed with a, a serious attitude of anticipation and expectation? We prayed in a moment and said, God, I'm excited to see how you're going to move. God, would you give me eyes to see? Help me to be aware of your movement when it begins so that I can take joy in the work that you're doing. Four, I think it becomes really important to recognize how God delivers. I think sometimes we miss God's deliverance in a moment because it's not what we expected. And as I read scripture, I think there's, there's two broad ways that I see God delivering. Sometimes God delivers us out of circumstances. He takes it away. Like yesterday, I was praying, God, take away the blizzard. He chose not to, right? And, and there's times where God will remove the circumstance. And often that's what we're looking for. God, would you bring healing? God, would you, would you bring freedom? God, would you bring a renewed relationship? And we want God to just fix it and, and just to deliver us out of. But what I've noticed is that often God doesn't deliver out of, God delivers through. And what I mean by that is in a difficult situation, God gives us the strength through his grace and through his presence to weather a difficult season. And that difficult season becomes for us a place of spiritual formation that moves us closer towards maturity and Christ-likeness. And so sometimes we ask God to deliver us out of the very things that are forming and shaping us as a people who have his character. And finally, I think we need to be ready to recommit. At the end of all this, as the people of Israel, they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground and God brings the waters back together and he destroys the army of Egypt, there's this moment at the end of chapter 14, verse 31, it says, And when Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in Moses, their servant. After we've walked through a season of difficulty, a season of adversity, I think it's so important to come back to this place of praising God for his deliverance and saying, God, I see your hand. I see your power. I see your glory. I see your capability. God, I'm, I'm fully placing my trust and committing my life again to serving you. So as we think about this, I have three action steps for us to take from this. First, I want to challenge you to reflect on your life. Where have you seen God's glory? And here's the action I want you to take. Think about a moment where you've seen God's provision and his strength and his glory. I want you to either write it down or tell the story to someone. Maybe it's as you sit down to dinner as a family, you say, hey, let's talk about where are places that we've seen God provide for us as a family? Where are places that you've seen God's strength and God's glory? Or maybe you're going to sit down and have coffee with a friend this week. Take a moment just to say, hey, can I, can I tell you something God's done in my life that's really cool? Because I think something powerful happens when we, when we testify and speak about those things that God has done. It brings it back to our mind and we, it becomes an anchoring place for us. 
The second thing I want you to think about is, is to evaluate the trajectory of life, who or what is determining and directing the decisions of your life. And finally, I want you to actively engage. I want you to think about what is the next step that God is asking you to take. Maybe God has been nudging you on something and God is saying, listen, I want you to make a course correction and you've been hesitant and God's saying, listen, listen, now's the time to stop crying out to me. Now's the time to move in the direction that I've already called you. So maybe this week is a moment for you to take the next step that you know God is calling you to take. In just a moment, the band is going to lead us in a song that's called Moses' Song. And if you were to continue reading Exodus, chapter 15 is Moses' song. And these lyrics are taken straight from the text of Exodus. So let this be a moment of reflection as we think about God, our mighty warrior, who, as Moses says, we can be still because we know that God, our warrior God, will fight for us and will advocate on our behalf. Use this as a moment of reflection.